from the empire of lies. It's time for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines in an atmosphere of free speech, open debate, and various opinions. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. So, midway through the week, hump day, or as I like to call it, I, you know, this is going to be a bad transition, because I should have said the word hump. It's, it's suddenly an eighth grade word. And, but I was going to say next, is that it's Tulsi Gabbard Day, unless you giggle at the thought of someone humping Tulsi Gabbard. Get your mind out of the gutter and grow up. I'm sick of this. So, Tulsi Gabbard is here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota today. She's going to be appearing with Governor Christy Nome. And uh, Rod, what do you think of Tulsi being here? She's a big celebrity. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, I think it's uh, interesting to see her transform, and uh, it's interesting to see the path she's she's taking now. Well, you know, funny you mention that because that's a good point. I think it's very interesting that she's here to promote Christine Nome and endorse her as the governor. Do you find that interesting? Because Christie's not 100%. Christie ain't a libertarian, you know, uh, she's not anti-war. And also, when marijuana passed here with an overwhelming majority of voters, she stopped it. And I'm not saying that means something, but do you find it weird when the governor, when the people vote for something and then the governor says, I don't think so. Do you find that odd? Yeah, very much so, Lee. Very much so. Because don't forget, South Dakota, by the way, it's a little weird. It was the first state to leapfrog weed. In other words, they passed both medical and recreational marijuana the same election. And it was the first state to do that. Did that make sense, Rod? Yeah, that makes sense. So so people of South Dakota weren't iffy. They were very clear. Weed should be legal. And by the way, I've said this before, this is not the most pro-marijuana state in the union. In fact, of all states I've lived in, it's a state where culturally the least people smoke weed. So alcohol, feel free to get up here. Tom Nichols would be very happy here. But, uh, and you, you know what I'm saying, Rod, this is not, there. you know, I've managed to find some people who smoke weed. There are some, but it's not like California or New York or someplace where everybody smokes weed. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, for sure, Lee. I remember in the early 2000s, if you were outside smoking weed in public, you know, people would look at you like you were some type of thug or something. Right. It's it's very interesting. So what I'm what I was getting at back to Christy Nome and Tulsi Gabbard, I find interesting that Tulsi is endorsing Christy Nome and appearing here because that indicates to me she's building up favors like she's planning a run for office and eventually is going to want Christy Nome to come out for her. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm just looking at, I'm looking at the, she's, um, Tulsi's playing the long game. Uh, some people might see these as short actions, you know, uh, to favor her to the conservative side, but I don't honestly, I think she might be doing something else. And like I said, I'm just watching her and seeing what she's doing. And so, like you said, you know, endorsing Christy Norm, Christy Nome. 
it'll be interesting. So let's see what let's see what uh, who else she, she keeps endorsing. Now, what do you think she's up to? But, but let, let's get to the boom. Actually, in the first hour, we have the great Jamal Thomas, co-host of the show Fall Lines, right here on Radio Sputnik. Then in the second hour, it's a frosty Wednesday, right? Mark Frost will be joining us in the second hour. Did I get all that right, Rod? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so take us to the boom, and let's keep talking about this. Go ahead. You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. So, Rod, you piqued my suspicious nature as well. What do you suspect Tulsi Gabbard is up to? Now, really, I'm just, you're blue skying. You don't know anything, obviously, but what do you suspect might be going on? I think she's trying to do what Andrew Yang astroturfed and then starting another party and uniting parts of the left and the right, you know, Democrats and Republican. Andrew Yang's a He's a Democrat. He's on the left. You know, he tries to make himself as a centrist. But uh, I think Tulsi can do something like that. You, you, you mean appeal to both the Democrats and Republicans, a certain amount of them? Yeah, especially centrists. You know, even though the center is so muddy, we can't even tell where it's at right now. But yeah, I think she could definitely, especially more conservative, Republican, libertarian. Yeah. So when you say centrist, I, I might agree with you. I think what you mean is a whole variety of political opinions. For instance, I'd like to see somebody who's, uh, and I could pick any, who doesn't hold, see, I'm not explaining this well. So Republicans and Democrats right now, it's almost a checklist. Democrats, they're pro-choice, they're for single-payer health care, they're pro-war, right? They're pro-CIA. Republicans are, let's say, against abortion, uh, nothing on health care, but opposed to single-payer, vaguely pro-war, probably pro-war, and probably CIA, unless they're doing stuff that affects their candidates. But it's almost a checklist. And every single Republican and every single Democrat, I pointed out before, it's better on the Republican side, because it is. You can hold a variety of views. You could have a pro-choice Republican, correct? Yeah, sure. People wouldn't freak, they, they wouldn't like someone who was, for instance, pro-choice in the third trimester. Does that make sense? They yeah, have yeah, limits. Yeah. Right, exactly. Right, in fact, that brings us to the Paul Pelosi case. And this is something I was talking about on Twitter last night. I'll, I'll, and it's going to be controversial for some people. I really like factual accuracy, right? So I'm seeing this alternative narrative develop that what happened was this was a prostitute Paul Pelosi picked up, brought home, and then they were both in their underwear wrestling over a hammer. You've seen this narrative, right, Rod? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sorry to laugh, Lee, but yeah, you know, but it, it, it is so hard to find just a straight line of facts because it's just so much has come out about this small story. And, you know, all, all of this could be just uh, evaporated, just release the footage. And we've seen ca- uh, camera, I mean, photos of the residents. There's cameras everywhere, Lee. And, and there's supposed to be a security detail. And like you said, the police body cam footage. So 
you know, just just release some type of footage and just so all this can be done and over with. That's a hundred percent what I want. And I took a poll on Twitter and ninety seven percent of people agreed that the body cam footage should be released because factually that would answer a lot of those questions, like whether he was in his underwear. And I, I, there's no proof. I've asked multiple times, is there any proof that he was in his underwear? But I'm seeing a lot of Republicans repeat that. Now, I'll say two things about that. One, I find the alternative narrative that people are talking about, I'm uncomfortable with how it's essentially anti-gay. Does that make sense? It seems like a lot of Republicans are snickering about the idea that Paul Pelosi's gay, or obviously in this case, bi. I, I would say that's pretty safe. Although I don't know about him, him and Nancy, and you know, don't want to think too hard about that. But uh, it seems to me vaguely anti-gay because it's saying kind of. It's not people coming out and saying it. But like, it's funny to people on the right. Have you noticed that? Am I reading something that's not there, or do you see what I'm saying, Rod? Um, you know, you got a you got a bigger following, and uh, you follow way more people than I do. As far as anti-gay, I'm not really seeing that, but I have been seeing that. Yeah, a lot of people have been uh, connecting the dot or trying to connect the dots or the gaps and saying that uh, that Nancy's a beard to uh, Paul Pelosi and that he that he's gay. And that, that, that this uh, David the Pap uh, m- might be, you know, uh, you know his his lover or whatever. Um, and yeah, people have been making fun of it, Lee. Um, but as far as like anti-gay, um, I haven't really seen that. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. But you know, it. What do you? What well, do you? It's, what do you it's s- not explicit. It's it's just a feeling I get that part of it is, you know. Snickering at well, the you know, gay guy. Well, you know they're, they're giggling. They're, at him. St- they're sticking it. They're sticking it to Nancy and the left and the Democrats and people support Nancy because, like, look, you know, she doesn't even have a real marriage. You know, she's, you know, you know, that's kind of what that's kind of what I see. Um, that you know, everything's so fake on them. Even her marriage is fake. Now here's here's the other one, and this is broader. Uh, I think that there's nothing about this guy's past that excludes him from being a libertarian. Think about all the reasons people on the right are saying he's he's a liberal. You see that? See, what's happening is there's a debate. The Republican people want to say, this guy's not one of us. He's a liberal Democrat. And they point to stuff like the Black Lives Matter poster or the rainbow flag. Now, first off, you can be gay and a Republican. So the rainbow flag, and also you can be gay, but I'll put it like this. There's nothing I'm seeing about this guy, uh, David Dupap. That, that's apparently how you pronounce his name, according to his lawyer. There's nothing about this guy that rules out him being a Bay Area libertarian. For instance, people point out the guy makes like takes solution gens. Or is a nudist. You could be a libertarian, particularly in the Bay Area. Does it make sense, Rod? And all of those apply to you. And then if he's a libertarian, it would make sense with a lot of his views. In fact, someone told me his 4chan thing 
is is he's obviously on the right. And I haven't seen the 4chan thing. But he does not have to be, obviously, he's not a Christian conservative from Missouri. Does that make sense? But there's more things than Christian conservative or commie. <laughs> and you see, what do you think, Rod? No, no, I agree with you, Lee. And I don't think uh, politically or ideologically you should try to claim people or not claim them. You know what I'm saying? Because, um, like you said, he could fit. Uh, he could be a Trump supporter. Or he could fit all these things you're saying and be a libertarian. Um, the only thing I'll say about the rainbow flag and m more on people on the conservative side, I think they just they'll just be like you know, hey, you know, I'm gay or, or, or whatever. But more, you see more people on the left or Democrats who want to show you, and they'll have the rainbow flag or the 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 pride flag with all the other symbols and stuff in it. Now, what bugs me on that is the people who aren't gay. Who feel the need to show that they're a gay ally, or gay friendly, or they're you know on Grinder or whatever they're advertising? Uh, so, because remember, Ali Alexander—that's how he was decloseted. Someone find his Grinder profile. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't uh, know about that until afterwards when it was brought up uh, with you. Uh, but then, you know, it's funny because it'd be like, well, who's the person on Grindr who found him, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, right. That's a good point. What are you doing on Grindr? Looking for conservatives? Okay. You know, thanks to Karl Rove. But anyway, my point is, because Ali was involved with Karl Rove, he's, he's talked about that. So, uh, and if you want a disturbing image, if you want to ever Awful not be taste. gay, you want to assure that you'll never be gay, Rod. Let me tell you a formula. Have sexual thoughts about Karl Rove, and you'll be puking in the corner in about two seconds. Am I right? <laughs> Didn't they? Isn't George Bush's name for Karl Rove is like Turdhead or something like that? Not now. I really don't want to think about it. <laughs> but let me say this: in Berkeley, that's why I said Bay Area libertarian. In Berkeley, and people say, "Well, Black Lives Matter." Well. The libertarian presidential candidate, Joe Jorgensen. In fact, Mark Frost is one who's left the Libertarian Party because Joe Jorgensen was the candidate for libertarian for president and pro Black Lives Matter. Now, I think that's a contradiction, but it is possible. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's all it's, it's kind of like when they made um Amy Cole Barrett, when they asked her about her adopted son, yes, uh, being you know it's kind of it's kind of like and that. George Floyd, yes, and she she and she talked about how she told her daughter, you know, again, what do you think? How would you describe what happened to George Floyd? Because the narrative was clearly at first he's been murdered, he was murdered by racists. That was the narrative. Then, as more facts came out, and again, this is a case that they did not release the, the body cam video. Remember? It was a month and a half before they put out a body cam video. So, George Floyd obviously was killed. He's not alive anymore. There's no conspiracy theory for that. But uh, how would you, would you describe him as being murdered? Are you comfortable with that phrase? 
No, no, I'm not comfortable. No, I'm not comfortable with that at all, Lee. Um, Because there would have to be some intent or some malicious action. At the most, at the most of the most, with uh, Derek Chauvin being the most veteran police officer, it was negligence because he knew uh, that uh, that George Floyd was on some type of drugs, and he didn't, you know, you know, he didn't uh, render any aid, knowing that he was probably overdosing. Or even, you know, once he was unconscious, stick him in the car, he's unconscious, and drive straight to the hospital. So that's how I would, that's how I would say. But if, to go backwards, I would say that it, it was a it was a black man who came to a convenience store with a forged or supposed allegedly forged twenty dollar bill, high on drugs, and the uh, the young cashier called the police on him. When the police started interacting with him, uh, he ingested drugs, and you saw a, a, a superhero effort. If that's how I see it, is that he he for eight minutes he ingested four times he had ingested four times the human amount of fentanyl and was able to survive that for it's over eight minutes it's over, it's like a twenty minute interaction so it was crazy he was even able to survive all that. But let's go to calls two zero two five two one thirteen twenty from D.C. Our good friend Ingrid Ingrid, what's on your mind and how's the activism planned for Julian Assange on election day going, Ingrid? It's going, it's starting to get a little bit better. Um, people can go to hashtag vote for Assange, and there you can download a sign, a vote for Assange uh, support press freedom sign that you can hold on the uh, election day on the 8th. But I'm, I'm really calling about your conversation yesterday with Yaakov Shapiro and his <clears throat> position on Judaism being a religion. And I would submit to you that that is largely his position because he is religious and that secular Jews, he's, he's, he's also denying other people the right to their own identity as they see it. And I have a guest suggestion for you. I don't know if you know who Gilad Atzman is. He would probably come on your show because he's generally reviled. He's uh, an Israeli who now lives in London. Well, no, I'm not sure what you're playing there. It's our new motto, the backstory, the show for the reviled. Is that the idea, Ingrid? Well, the, well, a lot of people won't I'm come. I'm making a joke. I know, I know what you mean, but yeah. I couldn't let that pass by. Go ahead. Anyway, Gilad is a jazz musician, and he's often toured the United States with his jazz group, but kind of on the side. He does these talks. He's also a PhD in philosophy, and he has a whole... He's very critical of not only Israel, but of Judaism. He he has declared that he, he, he was... You know, he is Israeli, but he is... Or he was. He's declared... I think I've seen him on YouTube before. The jazz musician rings a bell. There aren't that many pro-Palestinian Jew jazz musicians that I know of. So that I think I've seen him. He's also in the, on a quartet on that I don't know about. He's on YouTube in conversation with Yaakov Shapiro. They know each other. They get along very well. But uh, that I have seen him. Yeah. Otsman's theory, his criticism of Judaism is this triangulation that they switch out from being either uh, a religion or a ethnicity or a state according to the, the circumstances. And he's, you know, he's, 
he's a difficult character, but I think he's got an interesting point there. And as far as uh, um, Jason not feeling any benefit of being a Jew in Hollywood, I think at the level that Jason was as a as someone technical, he wouldn't. But if you're somebody submitting a script, producing a movie. Hollywood is hand in hand with the CIA and also probably the Mossad, and that's that's a different thing. If you're if you're getting by the the uh, not bureaucracy, but passing passing the the uh, checking the boxes on what kind of a narrative you're going to convey in a film. Well, he was making the same argument. I see people all the time make this argument. Let's say you're on the left. And don't forget, I used to write for Huffington Post and be on the left. And when pe people on the right would talk about George Soros, I would say, well, where's my check? That's a common joke. Where's my check? And George Soros clearly writes a lot of checks and a lot of checks to leftist groups. But that doesn't mean I, me, got a check from him. And that doesn't prove or disprove anything. So Jason's experience, I think if you look at, it's a numbers issue. If you look at the percentage of people who are, let's say, executives or own companies, we we're talking a little about this. You know, thanks to calling grid, you know, like in sports, Rod, uh, there's no doubt that there's a lot, there's more, a, a, Put it like this, as a percentage, there's no doubt there's a higher percentage of black basketball players or even football players now, I think, than there is population, right? There's, if, if black people are like, 75%. I forget. Right, and, and black people aren't, I think it's like 15, 20% of the population, right? 13, 13 is what I the last time I seen 13. And and you said seventy five percent are of the players are black. In the NFL, yeah, it's about seventy five point something. Now, is it racist to point that math out? I'm not saying, you know, it's a fact. So if you went to let's say owners, if you asked about another position on a team or management, and you saw that ninety percent of them were white. At a management level, you'd say there's apparently an overrepresentation in management and an underrepresentation, you know, for black people in management. Does that make sense? Well, you know that uh, Lee. Oh, I know you don't know, so I'm saying um, that that conversation is happening now, but in a different way, and it's being used kind of politically too, as where as the coaches, you know, since like you said, you know, the players are 75 percent black. Uh, it's uh, the representation of coaches. There's only like, I think, four or five black coaches and they get fired uh, very quickly. Um, and then, you know, sometimes it's only like two or three. And you also have other coaches coming along with these owners who, you know, are liberal and support liberal Democrats uh, saying that they, they're coming out with ads uh, supporting that they want uh, demanding for more black coaches. But um, just a, a side note of that is that. Another conversation on that is having is that a lot of <laughs> that I think this is a cultural thing. It's a it's a, uh, a microcosm is that that the black players don't necessarily respect the black coaches. 
and that they look at the white coaches differently and they have more respect for them. You know what I'm saying? So that, that's another cultural thing, but it would, you know, it's, it's something that also is going on in society. You know what I mean? As far as authority figures. In my view, in looking, looking at the numbers is what's the point? In other words, if you point out that 75% of the players are black and then what? It's a fact, but so what? And if there's a lot of Jewish people who are in the entertainment industry, what's the conclusion to be drawn from that? And uh, I don't know, but it's a point for another conversation. 202-521-1320. Lynn, thanks for waiting. What's on your mind? I have two things, one about Allie and one about Tulsi. But I, um, about Allie, so weird because he did stop the steal. And that whole time he did that orange outfit, I don't know if you remember, it was weird. He wore that all the time like it was associated with that stop the steal. And then I haven't seen him in that again. And he was on Alex the other day in that outfit again. I'm sorry, I'm out of breath. I just ran to get my charger. He, um, he was on Alex the other day in that orange outfit again, injecting himself in the Bolsonaro election. And he just acts like he's controlling the world. And I think it's weird. Sorry, I'm out of breath. I just think it's weird because he hasn't even been associated with the January 6th hearings. And he actually, he kind of organized Stop the Steal. Yeah, 100%. And was up there saying he'll die for Stop the Steal. Do you remember that? Yeah. Rod? And, that or- and that orange outfit. And now he's in the orange outfit again. And I know that sounds weird, but if you pay attention, it, he's doing that on purpose. Then the other thing with Tulsi quickly, I feel like she was pretty radically and radical in her beliefs. And she has tweets with um, AOC talking about let's change the world and all the things she believed in. And now the right is embracing her. And what I think she's doing is she'll run as an independent and take enough votes away from Trump because a lot of us don't like Trump anymore. And she'll take enough votes from him to make Joe Biden win or who's ever on this. So great call, Lynn. We got to move on because it's almost the bottom of the hour. Now, Rod, let me say something really bizarre and see if you agree. Ready? If I say Ali Alexander has a certain Andre 3000 vibe, does that make any sense to you at all? <clears throat> yeah, I know what you're trying to say, Lee. He has a, uh, what do you call that? Uh, you know, how he does his hair and his mustache and how he dresses, you know, yes. the vest in the vest and all that. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, Andre 3000 from the band Outkast. He doesn't give off a big boy vibe. I'll put it like that. It's more Andre, right? The kind of. Yeah, his clothes, his clothes, his clothes are very, very fitted, like, you know, Andre 3000 wears, you know. Kind, kind of intentionally weird, right? Do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, no, and I agree with Lynn. I did see that he was on Alex's Jones uh, yesterday or the day before, and I didn't notice that. I didn't connect the, that he was wearing that orange uh, outfit again. So, and, she, and that's right, he was wearing that for Stop the Steal. Is he inspired by Oompa Loompas, possibly? <laughs> I'm not sure, Lee, but if you remember, we, uh, we had that, that group of guys in orange uh, beanie caps who uh, went into the Capitol, and then we had callers call in and talk about it, and then, you know, a couple of days later, the picture came out. So, yeah, this whole orange thing is uh, Ali and all that. It's uh, strange. Now, some watching the video feed might say, hey, stroke guy, who are you to talk about the way people dress? You might be saying that. First off, I'm not Fetterman. Second off, uh, you know, I think I dress colorfully on purpose. And Ali would say the same thing. But 
you know, okay, I'll, I'll shut them up close. But let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk about more stuff on the backstory. Backstory and on the radio on 105.5 FM AM 1390. This is the backstory and Commence Central. Do you have Jamal? Okay, so joining us now, the co host of Fault Lines with Thomas and whoever's on with Thomas, up right here on Radio <laughs> Sputnik, the great Jamal Thomas. Hey, Jamal, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right, man. How's it going? Well, You've had a lot of calls in the last year. It's almost like a British prime minister position, you, right? It is, right? <laughs> it is. Oh, we have a five or, in a year? It's like five in a year. Or the Israeli parliamentary position. Is Netanyahu hosting with you yet? <laughs> no, but you know, it's interesting. I um, was in a taxi cab. With the guy last night. So last night, after we finished all of the interviews, I went to see a movie. I think it was like nine at nine p.m. Black Adam. Black Adam was a horrible movie. Um, and from a political level, which I just movie? Hated it. But when I got which movie? It's called Black Adam, the one with the Rock, the one with the Rock. Okay. Rock is playing Black Adam. It's a comic book movie. They had Rock. They pulled him out of a tomb. He comes out and he's in conduct. Let's just call it a country. The country is under a military dictatorship, literal military dictatorship. The Rock comes out and destroys the dictatorship, basically kills all of the people that were there. The Justice Society invades the country saying, we're coming to get the Rock because we're the good guys. And it's like, what do you mean you're the good guys? Your, your, your brand of justice is to basically reinstall a military dictatorship within the country itself. Now, when the dictatorship was coming, you weren't nowhere nearby. But you just invaded. You have no authority whatsoever in the country itself. The people in the country is looking up to this guy like a hero. Who the hell are you? And how on earth are you the good guys in this situation where you're basically installing a situation of oppression? Astonishing film in the way that they try to position themselves as being good guys. But I get into a cab on the way back home, like 12 in the night. And the guy who's in the cab is an Israeli cab driver. He's been in um, Brazil for 50 years, but he's Israeli. And him and I got into this big discussion about Israeli politics and about Netanyahu. And I said, hey, um, Netanyahu looks like he's going to come back. He says, yes, that's a great thing for Israel. And I'm like, is it a great thing for Israel? I mean, the guy was, you know, all these charges and everything against him. He says, that man um, is great and a political actor. And I said, look, he's a Teflon Don. I agree with you that, meaning nothing sticks to Netanyahu. And for whatever reason, he has this ability to keep his finger on power regardless of how many years he's there. Then we start talking about Arabs in the country itself. He's like, oh, Arabs love being there. They're equal citizens. Like, dude, how are they equal citizens in the country? Are you really saying that? Yes. And I pointed out to him, I said, well, what about the Knesset? I was like, you have all of these Arab parties, and these parties are basically isolated in the Knesset. How on earth is that the same thing as equality? Then he says, well, uh, they should have never worked with those Arabs. I mean, Lapid should have never worked with them in order to get rid of Netanyahu. I was like, okay. So if Arabs are equal in the country, but they don't have political representation because you've just admitted that all things being equal, they just shouldn't be part of the other parties, then how on earth are they equal in the country? Him and I got to a great conversation. 
but he was one of those people that thought Netanyahu should come back to power. He loved the fact that Netanyahu was in power and that Netanyahu basically made Israel a stronger country. It was a fascinating conversation. So you got into a conversation with Bricks, you say? No, it was Israeli, Israeli guy, a guy who was basically okay. Israeli, okay. but he I just so happened to live might... in Brazil. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought you might have said you got into a conversation about BRICS, which would also make sense. Does that make sense? That if the, if yeah, BRICS, BRICS had come up, because you know, and we'll talk about BRICS in a second. But Jamal, so you're still in Brazil, and where you're in Rio? Uh huh. Yeah, Rio. That's correct. Okay, and when correct. are you leaving? Friday. Okay, so you get a few more days there. So name. Three yeah. things, and I'm going to be very specific. Name three things that you've learned since you've been in Brazil. They can be on anything, politics, culturally, go. Okay. For one, elections are compulsory here, meaning people have to basically go in and they're compelled to vote. You can't just have this thing where people just don't vote. That was shocking to me when I first got here. I didn't realize that. But it basically forces the people in the country to vote. Otherwise, they're going to get a fine or for the matter. They're going to have to give a really good explanation as to why um, they didn't vote. Um, the second part was the level that, of – That brings up a, a good question, though. L let me ask you. The people you've talked to, how do they like that system? The citizens of Brazil, what do they think about that? No, I haven't, I haven't had the opportunity to ask anybody about that one. I mean I've talked to people about the election, about their personal choice, like who they want or who they don't want. And there have been maybe two or three people who thought Bolsonaro was great, that are terrified that Lula is coming back, that basically blames Lula and the Worker Party for everything that's wrong in the country. Um, he's like, oh, Dilma Rousseff and Lula was responsible for it. And I'm like, but Lula pulled 20 million people out of poverty. It's like you're just completely unaware of that. No, no, they caused all of these problems, and it's their fault, and Bolsonaro was trying to fix it, but he only had four or five years. And it's like, okay. Fair enough. I mean, my job isn't to fight with the people various on this. It's just to get their opinion. And so I don't really disclose what I think about the election. I always just elicit information from them, whether they're for Lula or whether they're from Bolsonaro. Um, but yeah, I found this like that, but I haven't necessarily heard anybody complain about it. Yeah, exactly. My job okay. isn't necessarily to argue like that. Yeah, it's purely just right. I'm just a fly on the wall. What do you think about X or Y? And at that point, I might prod them a little bit to try to get more information. But out you of also them, but haven't heard yeah, anybody complain about it. Things. I, you, I take no. it in their compliance. They've never said, we hate mm, this nope. system where we have to vote. It freaking bu bugs us, never. right? Uh-uh, no, uh-uh. Okay. They were clear in their choices. So, yeah. So, part two. So, you another learned. thing that I've learned had to do with the level of contention of this election. So, when I jumped into the country, I didn't realize how, let's say, aggressive the sides have been in pushing this election. Also, political violence is normalized here in a weird way. Like, so in one case, you had um, a representative chase a black guy down with a gun after that argument. The congresswoman, uh, what, uh, Zambia or whatever you, her name you is. You posted a Basically, video on a your gun. Twitter feed, right? Yeah, yes, exactly. It's I like she chased a black guy there. down with a gun after an argument um, over the election. Also, there was a case where one of the Congress members threw a, a grenade at the cops because here they were trying to combat misinformation and so the high court the supreme um electoral court um rabbi alexander de morales he had been going aggressively after people who were trying to put out information going so far as to put some of those people in jail 
And he had put a gag order on a congress member. The cops came to enforce the gag order, and the guy basically attacked the cops, um, tried to shoot at him, and then threw a grenade, injuring the cops who were basically coming to um, uh, to. Now, I don't know if they were trying to arrest them, but they were definitely trying to come after them. And so there's a level of, politis, of, of political violence that has become somewhat normalized in the way that they engage. Um, that was – I didn't realize how aggressive that was, but that's definitely part of the country itself. Um, I guess the third one would be – God, man, I've learned so much about this country. It's hard to figure out where. The third one would be – I guess you could say the ease – the interaction with the public itself. The people are very easy to engage and interact with. Well, that was a gunshot that you just heard. Um, the people were what? easy to engage. What was that? That was a gunshot. A gunshot. I think are you, it was a gunshot. Are you serious? It sounded like a gunshot. Okay. Yeah, I'm serious. Do you often hear those? Uh, after the election, yes. But not since. I've only, this is only the second time I've heard one like that. Now, is it, is it, do people shoot their guns in the air? Because I know in you know, I, see, I haven't, well, I haven't seen it, but I just heard on the election night you could hear it, like after the immediately right. after the election it was like you know I guess it was like Fourth of July like you have this kind of thing people are excited people are blowing their horns and I guess yeah some people might have shot their guns in the air. It um, seems I don't know to be what that was. That might have been a truck. What it might be. Because when, when I it lived in be. LA, <laughs> no, I'm serious. When I lived in LA, they made an announcement. And largely to the Mexican population, on New Year's, don't shoot your gun in the air. Because they explained basic physics, which is the bullets come down also. That's the problem. Of, of it's course, all right? fun they don't just stay when up. you shoot like, your gun in the, the air. So, right. So, I'm, you know, maybe it's a, a cliche or a stereotype, but I'm going to ask about it anyway. No, I, I haven't seen so, it as a norm. I put it that way. I haven't seen it as a regular thing. It hasn't been a normal thing. Okay. okay. Um, I guess the third one would be Brazil is a thriving. Oh, I know. Museum of Tomorrow is here. It's so epic. Do you know who Jack Fresco is? Um, Jack Fresco is the guy who pushed the Venus Project. It's this idea that the world is a resource for the world itself, meaning the people of the planet should participate in the resources of the planet. It shouldn't be this idea that planets or resources are basically withheld and stuff like that. We're born into a planet. What makes it right for one person to basically own X, Y, Z? The Museum of Tomorrow goes into this kind of emancipatory idea of what we are as human beings and questions. What are you as a person? Where are we going as a society? And what do you want to be as a society? And those things need to be choices that the public and the society itself makes as opposed to just going by this thing of inertia. And it goes on talking about um, space. It talks about the human being itself and how the human being was formed. It talks about the body. It talks about the climate. All of those things basically are brought to bear. Jack Fresco wanted an organization or let's say a place where people could go to get all the up-to-date knowledge of the world itself. Meaning everything that the world has basically learned, that is a repository of knowledge that is available to each and every person at this particular place. And Museum of Tomorrow was very similar to that in the way that they tried to articulate what it means to be a person and what it means to be a person on this planet. For the matter, what does it mean to be us as a collective society and the way that we organize our resources to make this planet better? I, it, it's a religious experience for me to go to that place. I didn't know it was here. When I got here, when I finally when I, um, stumbled upon it, I went there, I think it was a couple of days ago. I was blown away. Amazing place. Anybody that comes to Brazil should definitely come to Museum of Tomorrow. It's amazing. 
Now, oh, also, now, so, I didn't know that the rainforest took up as much as Brazil. It's almost like a third of Brazil is rainforest. It's astonishing size. Like when you look at the entirety of the country, then you look at the amount of rainforest, it is an astonishingly large portion of the country. It's amazing. Now, Jamal, this is a serious question, even though it may sound like I'm goofing on you for a second. Have you thought about going to a rainforest and taking hallucinogenics, ayahuasca, Yes. With pe- people. Yes. Have you considered it? Yes. Yes. I have. And, More and than once. You have not disappointed me, Jamal. I would expect no less from you. And I mean that in a good <laughs> way, because I would think about it too. Now, the problem I'd have is I'd be thing, in the right? show. What's that? It's a fascinating thing, right? I mean, the, I like. Depending on who you talk to and depending on the society that you're basically dealing with, Carla Castaneda in his books, for example, they weren't considering mescaline as a drug. They consider it as this gateway into something else. You're engaging yeah. this thing. And so ayahuasca is something similar. You have the shamans there who are holding the procedures and this thing of breaking through certain blockages that you may have just as a person and the way that you see yourself. It's a fascinating thing. The, the throwing up part is the part that freaks me out. And not necessarily being able to escape the experience if you want to try to escape the experience. I mean, it's like a roller coaster. You're stuck on that ride until that ride ends. It was that part that freaks me out. But yes, I say I've this as a, I'm, I'm sure you'd be a good person to take ayahuasca with, Jamal. If, if someone said, Lee, do you want to take ayahuasca with Jamal? I'd be sure. Yeah, absolutely. As long as I can pick be the music. To. Because I'm very picky. But well, what in would you general. Pick? I mean, the music choice is important. What would you pick? I'm pretty picky on my music, too. I don't want to have anything too weird. You well, know what I would want? Space Oddity by... I would um, want too oh, weird. By David Boy. What's that? Space Odyssey, by Dave, Space Odyssey by David Boy. That's a good one. I would agree with that in a second. And uh, yeah. But in general, I'm a deadhead. So the Grateful Dead, a lot of their music, and the Pink Floyd, of course. And Seth the Controls for the Heart of the Sun. Agreed. But also, Agreed. maybe agree with Van Morrison. Also, I think Marvin Gaye, what's going on, would be great. But that's Mar- me. And Stevie Wonder. Gotta give me, gotta give me Stevie. Gotta give me Stevie. Innovations. Gotta give me Stevie. For instance, classic Stevie Wonder. Not the part where he's singing the commercials for phone companies. Not the. No, no. <laughs> Don't bring that up. Don't bring that up. That man. No. <laughs> Don't undercut that man by showing his worst experience. <laughs> I was once at a I was once at a music store in LA, Guitar Center on Sunset, and Stevie Wonder was uh-huh. in the keyboard department. And Stevie was there really? testing out the new keyboards. Yes. It was fantastic. It was amazing. That but, was an uh, amazing experience. So let me ask you about the ayahuasca thing, because I've never been to Brazil, but I would also think I would want to do it, but I wouldn't do it. Because I'm a lazy bastard. And I'd be at a hotel <laughs> in civilization where they have room service and so on. And I imagine, you know, most hotels, even here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, there's a part in the lobby where they have pamphlets for local tourist attractions. Uh-huh. Like if you go to a hotel here, you'll see a pamphlet for Mount Rushmore or whatever, right? So are there really? ayahuasca uh-huh. are there ayahuasca pamphlets? In the hotel lobby? No, they're not. You're going to have to find, no, you're going to have to find a shaman online or something like that and able to go. I mean, have you ever seen those experiences? I've seen people go through those experiences and it is wild watching them. Like, 
people are crying. People are like losing it. There, in fact, there was one where the scientist was basically testing out the experience for himself, and he said how he's meeting these beings who are above him in a way, and he's there. He, he's so intellectual in regards to a rigid mindset in regards to what he had been taught from an education standpoint. And he said, in that moment, I felt so tiny and small and insignificant. And just the stuff that I knew and the ridges and the boundaries that I had basically broke. And he had no a difficult time trying to keep a conception of himself in the face of these beings that seemed to be beyond what he was. Fascinating experience. Yeah. It, made, it basically took him down the peg. Then, you know, it's fascinating. The, the concept of ego death comes up with uh that's it you you lo- you do lose your own sense of identity uh, i've heard uh-huh i've never done ayahuasca i've done lsd and I've done mushrooms a few times How but you- not in a while so i've done sativa dividorium sativa dividorium is like a five minute drug and it creates this disassociation between yourself and the external world and first time i did it i punked out a bit second time i did it i was sitting in the room where it felt like, this is hard to explain, but it felt like I was out of sync with time, where I knew it was almost like, for one, it felt like I was at, the room was beating, felt like the room was beating with me. And then it felt like, okay, there's a part of myself that I'm trying to get back to, and that I'm moving towards that, but I'm not necessarily back to myself yet. And so it was almost like I was broken into segments of time where it took a while for that time to catch up with me. It was a very weird experience. It's so disassociated, though, where you feel like you're disassociated from yourself. It's very bizarre. Very yes. strange. Yes. What was your LSD Fascinating. Yeah, now, if you do if you do go into the rainforest and take ayahuasca, do me a favor. Phone in the show immediately. As soon as you're on, while as I'm soon on as you start to, <laughs> as soon as it starts to hit. No, what's that? You mean call in while I'm on Iowa, while the trip is taking place, just yeah. call in, get the shaman or bring the phone to me. Right, put put your shaman on the phone. And if you can find the QAnon shaman, you know, well, I don't know what he's doing down there, but but uh, but fascinating conversation as usual with you, Jamal. Now, let me oh, say this. Right. I don't know much about Brazilian politics, and I certainly don't know uh-huh. as much as if I live there. So if someone asked me, who do you like, Bolsonaro or Lula? My answer would be, I really don't know enough about them to know, and I I don't live there. So it's not going to affect me either way. But I'm seeing some people take a position, including on the right here, whether we talked about it, Ali Alexander, who's one of the people who was behind January 6th, is coming out on Alex Jones Pro Bolsonaro. And I'll say this. One thing I like about Lula is I know he's on the left, and I generally disagree with that. But my concern about a lot of people on the left nowadays is that they're not people on the left. They're really establishment shills. Does that make sense? Right. Like AOC is yes, a perfect thousand example. percent right. Right? Thousand percent so, right. Because if you think about it, it's like, how can you be on the left? By the same token, you're basically back in this war. How can you do both? How can you do both? Right. And, what, and, you know, it's like, like when those lefties Lula, put up that thing, well, oh, please. What I like about Lula, the reason I don't think he's a shill, and again, I, 
I could be convinced. I'm not 100% convinced he's not. But because he was one of the guys behind BRICS and they're in alliance Uh with Russia, does that make sense, Uh Jamal? It does make sense. Yeah. He's not, look, Lula's not a show. I mean, they put him in a cage. (laughs) I mean, think about that, right? Like, there were elements of the U.S. government working with these elements in the right in this country in order to put him in a cage. Not to mention threatening the judiciary, Bolsonaro, some of the people in the generals in the military that basically were responsible for getting him locked up. I mean, no, he's definitely not a show. Like you said, he was a person who originated, helped originate BRICS. He's going to be working with Russia and China even closer. I mean, some of the speeches that he's made, he's already talked to Maduro and Venezuela. He's talking about bringing in, again, his focus is, from a foreign policy standpoint, Latin American and South American politics and having the organization of those countries into something that can work in coordination from an international standpoint, almost as a unified group. And look, whatever an individual wants to think about Brazil or Brazilian politics, Brazil has 200 million people in this country. It is a massive, massive country. Right now, it's working in coordination with India, China, South Africa, um, Iran is trying to get in, Saudi Arabia and Turkey. And think about that. I mean, that's a fascinating development. It's one thing for the European Union and Turkey or Turkey to necessarily be in alignment, especially since Turkey is a part of NATO. But what does it mean when they're part of this military organization by the same token, part of an economic organization that is organized basically against NATO and European interests? That is astonishing. Saudi Arabia, that was basically an ally of the United States, has now tried to get into BRICS also. You have multiple nations, not just those nations, but you're basically creating a second economic order at the exact same time as the hegemonic control of the West from the standpoint of the EU and the United States has basically collapsed. And yes, the dollar is strong, but the dollar is not strong because it's doing well. The dollar is strong because the pound is falling through the floor, and for that matter, the euro is falling through the floor. And again, if the strength of a currency is indicative of the strength of a particular nation, what does it mean for Europe when the euro has fallen that far? I mean, think about the amount they have to pay on their bills that's get more expensive. The fact they're paying four times more for gas or energy from the U.S. Again, you have to pay for that. That's more expensive considering it against the dollar. You have hundreds of thousands of companies basically leaving Italy, um, um, Germany, because they can't necessarily afford the energy bills. At the exact same time that Europe is being deindustrialized and it's going to be colder and poorer for the foreseeable future, you have countries organized around BRICS that are on the ascendant. And at this point, the B in BRICS, first letter, Brazil, is being headed by the guy that basically helped start the organization in the first place. No. Chill, no. I mean, even from the standpoint of the lefty politics, he's already talked about the Ukraine war. Basically, he's not going to get involved. We don't have anything to do with that. And right here, we he's talking about from the lefty standpoint, now, on hunger. Well, let me ask this. Uh, most let me ask this. Oh, go for it. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, Jamal. It, it's a, it, in my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong. It's about a tie with Bolsonaro on the BRICS front because Bolsonaro did not also try to get Brazil out of BRICS, and he did not get involved in the Ukraine war. Is that correct? That's true. That is true. So, but that's just so it, right? Saying, Brazil, most of three fourths of the world stayed out of this nonsense. Three-fourths is like, we don't have anything to do with this. This is on you. Right. And it seems to me, by promoting that, they're promoting a sovereign Brazil, right? Yes. They're promoting— Yes, thousand percent right. Because what we call the unipolar world sometimes, what we really mean by that is the U.S. bullied world. We really mean unipolar doesn't specify who. The unipolar world 
that we live in is unfortunately U.S. tries to boss everybody else around. Is that right? That is true. But at this point, you can see for yourself that soft power has waned. I mean, yeah. Joe Biden went begging Saudi Arabia, supposedly an ally, for gas or for, for oil. Saudi Arabia basically puts a knife in the guy, cuts the production by two million barrels. And Joe Biden is sitting there with his, you know, his, his penis in his hand, not necessarily knowing what to do with it. I mean, all things being equal, this idea of the U.S. being able to bully. Yeah, he can bully Europe. But Turkey, who's been making closer inroads with Russia? I mean, for that matter, um, this kind of thing of not even – again, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia had even put up this idea of a petrol yuan. I mean, think about that. They're, I mean, China has been investing hundreds of billions of dollars into Saudi Arabia. Those countries are looking to organize themselves into something else. And I strongly suspect that what's going on is after the U.S. and Europe jumped the shark, those other countries looked at it as this is our time to end this nonsense of Western hegemony. I strongly believe that so, that's what's taking place right now in the world. The world is getting more complicated. So we're almost out of time, Jamal. And been a great conversation. So the final question for you is, as a world traveler, I know what goes on in your head when you travel around the world. Anybody, not just you. Basically, every country I've ever been to, in the back of my mind, I'm going, could I live here? And some countries, yes. yes and some countries, no. Am I right? Uh -huh. that, that thought goes through your head. It is right. Oh, man. You're not. Every time. I you're not playing the move. And a hard could you could you no, live never in Brazil? Yes, I like. Brazil. And what would you like about it? Up to this point, the people. I like the people. I like the location. I like the fact that the beach is nearby. I like the climate on some level, even though it's raining for the last several days. It's it's a laid back beach city for the most part. Like it's a beach town. It's kind of it puts you in the mind of like Dahab in Egypt. Um, Sharm el Sheikh is more showy. It's more touristy, but there. But the people and everything else are so chill and laid back, and I suspect that's a lot to do with location. Portugal would be my choice if I had to go anywhere and live anywhere. I could live in Portugal. I love Portugal. Well, I Loved have a friend here in Sioux Falls who's a lawyer, who, by the uh -huh. way, his husband lives down in Brazil, and he just bought an inn in Brazil. But he loves Brazil. Did he? He goes down there all the time. And it's a different climate than South Dakota. But Wish me luck. Oh, yes. Because it's Tulsi Gabbard Day in South Dakota. Tulsi's speaking tonight in Sioux Falls. Yes. She's speaking tonight with Christy Nome. So wish me luck over there. Great conversation as usual. Jamal Thomas. I wish you all the luck in the world. Man. Thanks so much for joining us. And great conversation. You listen to Jamal talk about all kinds of stuff every morning, Monday through Friday, on Fall Lines, right here on Radio Sputnik. Let's take a short break, and we'll be back on the backstory. And we're back on the backstory, the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines and sometimes the weird stories way behind the headlines. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. So thanks so much to Jamal Thomas from Fault Lines. And Rod, did you expect that conversation to take a psychedelic turn, be honest? Wait, say it again. 
Did you expect it to take a psychedelic turn? <laughs> no, no, I didn't expect that. But if, think about it. I, I'm not surprised Jamal wants to try ayahuasca. Does that make sense? No, you, for, uh, it makes sense to me. He's from he's from Richmond. Richmond kind of has a uh, kind of has that hipster vibe to it. Yes, and he's into a lot of stuff. By the way, I would let Jamal pick the music. He clearly has good musical taste, and uh, he knows appropriate music. So I, I don't want to seem like I'm going to be bogarting the record player. So great conversation with Jamal Thomas, and I like the fact. You know, Brazil sounds nice. I don't know what to say. Does that sound good to you, Rod? Oh yeah, no, Brazil is nice. Uh, you know, when I was uh, when I was younger, uh, so in the early 2000s, I, uh, you know, the older guys used to say they used to go down to Brazil and have a have a good time. <laughs> now, speaking of set the controls for the heart of the sun, Mark Frost will be our guest this hour. That's a Pink Floyd reference, a prog rock reference, because Mark Frost. Economist, entrepreneur, and prog rock drummer will be with us this hour. And we'll be talking about, because there's lots of economic news, the Democrats were less than a week out. The Democrats are sort of admitting inflation is real. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I didn't have enough time to get that last clip of uh, Biden admitting it yesterday. Yeah, yeah, no, for, for surely. He said, he said it's everywhere. It's all over the globe. Right. And, and by the way, if I'm a voter, I'm thinking to myself, I don't care, and pulling the R. You know, telling people, I'll put it like this, if you're really hungry, right, it doesn't help you at all if I tell you, well, there are other people in the world who are also really hungry. You're like, yeah, but I'm still hungry, right? So telling people inflation is affecting the world, I think a lot of voters are going to go, well, that's probably your fault, too. And they'd be right. Right, Rod? Yeah, yeah, no, he's, he, was, he was blaming the war in Iraq. He was blaming, I got I, I should have uh, added that to the clips I sent Lee. So, take us to the break, Rod. You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. Okay, so, I got to get my list up here. We got a bunch of clips here, Rod. What, what are you for clips? Yeah, we've got a bunch of clips. Uh, one of them would be uh, that uh, there's a 28% jump in uh, suburban moms who are going to vote Republican. And, you know, that's that's been the Democrats' whole uh, base to, to, yes. they've been appealing to. Exactly right. And I'm not convinced at all that suburban moms, you know what I think part of the problem was, and they got a bunch of Democrats, is a suburban mom won't be that impressed by Donald Trump. Does that make sense? He's a default candidate, Lee. He's, you know, he's the default not Democrat agenda. You know what I mean? He's a default candidate now. And it seems to me, you know, they might be kind of squicked by Donald Trump. But let's play that. Let's play suburban moms, suburban white women, and voting Republican. Let's play a clip. Hit it. Cold open. I understand the audience loves these now, so we can compare and contrast. This plays to a key point in the Wall Street Journal today. And Richard Barris, you have told us this, and you have preached this 
for at least six to eight months. That's where we love guys like you and Cortez are always look at the analytics and can spot what's happening. You said because of the issue set, you're going to see at some point in time a big shift in these numbers, particularly in what the Democrats think is their stronghold, and that's suburban white women, right? Women overall, but particularly suburban white women, which they think they actually have a lock on because of all the issues they put up with orange man bad with Trump. But you said, hey, uh, abortion and and, and defending democracy is not in their top 20. They're the chief operating officer and CEO of the American family. They understand inflation. They understand the economy. They understand crime. They understand education. Let's throw the injections and mandates in there, all of it. Walk our audience through. You just saw right there Compare and contrast what Morning Joe talks about and what they think is important versus Carrie Lake in that very matter-of-fact way. What did the Wall Street Journal uh, say this morning? Sir, what's this analysis in the journal that really uh, backs up what Richard Burris has been telling us is going to happen? Yeah, and their poll came out yesterday, but they they did this this morning because it bears repeating. What they found in that poll, and they're not alone. We did. Now CNN's out this morning. Everybody is seeing this now. They're seeing it late. That's why you know somebody like Joe Scarborough is just dawning on him. Uh, but that's a 28-point swing from the suburban white woman away from Democrats to Republicans. And this is, you know, the Republican vote is always a very efficient vote at the congressional district level because they don't have to win the popular vote in the House as much as a Democrat does to, to do real damage. But when you do see Republicans start to, you know, four, five, even more, six points, because it's being fueled by this uh, this vote, this specific voting block, uh, Steve, it's wipeout territory. I mean, now we're starting to extend into districts that they felt they had locked down, that this was a long-term trend. It's not. Yeah, uh, DeGrasse is going to join us at the bottom. we got a lot to get through. I just want to make sure. I want to repeat this because I want the audience to savor it. Their entire campaign was built around suburban women. Yes. This is, repeat that, 28% swing, sir, in 60 days, I think it is, 30 to 60 days, because... People are now focused on what's important about this election, this midterm, and how they want to make the madness stop. 28-point swing. I think the Republican candidates are now up 15%. This is what we saw, ladies and gentlemen, last November when we were the MAGA wing of the Young Convictory in uh, John Fredericks came up with the strategy. War Room and Fredericks gets all over and make sure we push, get MAGA focus, although Young can win their cup of tea. 100% support from MAGA. And guess what? Concerned moms, suburban moms will turn out over parents' rights, the injection, the economy, all of it. So I agree with them. And if you look at the issues that the Democrats have been banking on, I'll, I'll, one of the issues that the Democrats banked their hopes on was abortion. Would you agree with that, Rod? Oh yeah, I mean, come on, Lee. That's that would that would be would have to be number one, or at least a tie with with Trump. So maybe like one B compared to Trump. So it's Trump and abortion. That's what you get. And their, you know, suburban moms are by definition people who've had kids. And my belief is that your support for abortion goes down after you have kids. Does that make sense? Without arguing it or having a poll to prove my point, I think it's common sense. I know a lot of women 
who may have had abortions, let's say when they were 19 or 20, okay? But then they have a couple of kids and their position on abortion changes to one where they're not yet opposed to it, but third trimester abortions offend mothers. Does it make sense, Rod? Uh, 100% leave. I mean, I would say that's pretty much a fact. Uh, you know, I've had two kids and, you know, at, uh, way before nine, I'm not going to say way before nine months, but I'd say what probably around sometimes six months, you could start feeling the baby moving and kicking and stuff like that. So right. just to, right. to talk about, to talk about, you know, well, you know, three months later, you know, when you already see the baby kicking and moving around and stuff, uh, you know, I want to terminate this, you know, that's, it's just so sick to think about. It's common and, sense to mothers. It's it's just common sense. It's yeah, like, it become it comes along with their nature. It comes along with the, their maternal nature. It's no longer an argument in politics. It's just what? No, I I don't want to do that. Now I am a pop culture fan, but I am also an old person, and so I don't know anything. That's why I asked Jamal to repeat the name of the movie, because I don't know any movies. I could not name three movies that have come out in the last month. Does that make sense? I used to know every movie that was coming out and music. I know nothing now. Do you, do you understand, Rod? No, I feel you, Lee. The, the content is just so horrible now, especially with the, when we went through lockdowns and you consumed everything, you know, you know, does not, there's nothing, the, the new stuff is so bad. It's just like, you just watching old, uh, old stuff to, to uh, appease you. And also, there's enough good old stuff. There's so many, you know, TV shows and movies and music. You could spend all your time listening to nothing but old stuff, and it would fill up your time. Does that make sense? Yeah, Lee, uh, Marlon Wayans was talking about, uh, you know, they're thinking about making White Chicks too, and he was talking about how he, he just doesn't, he doesn't uh, adhere to cancel culture. He was like, he was like we're going to make White Chicks too, and he was like, we're not going to uh, adhere to this this culture, uh, even though he knows the environment's, you know, hostile to a movie like that. It was funny when it came out. I mean, it's still funny, White Chicks. Yes, yeah, it's still so funny, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to mention this woman, Jennifer Lewis, do you have any idea who she is? Here's how old I am. I'm so old, I'm still impressed by Randy Critico, who's been on the show before and recently was at a pro Sanj event with Kiriaku. I'm still impressed that Randy Critico was on HR Puffin stuff. That's how old I am. That's my idea of a hip reference. Does that make sense? So who is Jennifer Lewis? I have no idea who she is. Oh, she's famous in the black cinema. Um, she's been in a lot of a lot of movies and shows. She was also in, in The Princess and the Frog. So she's, she's also been a part of Disney. But you sent me this leak because I hadn't seen it. But <laughs> oh man, I mean they they just they there is no low. They keep digging. Lee, they're just digging and digging and digging. Uh, apparently now, uh, Marco Rubio is you know anything racial, it's his fault. You know. Well, I'll tell you at the risk of pointing out a cliche. Or stereotype. She's doing that black preacher thing, you know, of rhyming. Does that make sense? Everyone is going to hear the clip in a second. But she's doing that rhyming thing, almost a call and response thing with herself. But it has nothing to do. She was speaking, this actress 
was speaking at a Biden rally, at a Biden rally against Marco Rubio. Now, as far as I know, Marco Rubio was not involved in the civil rights movement, right? Did I miss Marco Rubio marching against Martin Luther King or anything? <laughs> no, you didn't miss that, Lee. I didn't miss him throwing bricks at the people on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, right? Marco Rubio is not there. No, I think his parents were still in Cuba, right? So no, he wouldn't even be in this country at that time. So this will all make sense in a second. Here's the clip of Jennifer Lewis at the Marco Rubio rally. And tell me what sense this makes at all. Someone hit it. I can say Emmett Till five times. And you know what I learned? That Till does not rhyme with seal. That's a weak rhyme. Uh, Let me say it. Jennifer Lewis, that's some weak rhyming. And Jennifer Lewis, before you lie your astro, remember Rubio fought Castro. See, I did it too. Is it pretty good, Rod? Oh man, no, that's that's just it's just so hilarious. And no, the, the reason she's saying Emmett Till is because there's a movie. The movie's coming out, Lee. See, this is you. You, you, you probably didn't know there's an Emmett Till movie coming out. You know they have to always put out some type of uh, either a slavery movie, which Will Smith's coming out with, or uh, some type of movie where a black man's being killed and it's you know historic and it has to be re-brought up into the in, in Hollywood in a movie. What does that have to do with Marco Rubio, though? That that's what I don't get. It has nothing to do with Marco Rubio, right? I mean, it's just like I said. They can't. They, I mean, come on, as a black woman, for her to read that, and you know, she had to practice because there was like, you know, you got to put a little, you got to put a little juice on this one. So you know, so she had to rehearse it for at least you know a couple minutes, and it's just like this. <laughs> you know, like again, what does that have to do anything with Marco Rubio? What 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 did he do to, that had anything to do with these events? 
and and also, you know, so, so, saying stuff like he's lying his ass off. She phrases it that way to be a sassy. You know, she knows that people go, "Ooh, she said ass." Well, guess what? Adults are used to people saying ass, right? It's not that naughty. It's not that bold speech. But she's acting like well, she was. I think she was at a school. She's at a school, though. I think. So I think it's at either college or something. There's a lot of young people right behind her. I'm sure those young people use worse language every day, right? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So next clip is, and this is a perfect meme for Democrats, is that voter ID laws. We heard for a while they were racist, and that remember that. Vote asking people for ID was racist for a long time, and impl was implied that black people do not know how to get ID. That was the implication for years, right, Rod? Yeah. Also, Marco Rubio's fault. Yes, and he's voter IDing his ass off. So let's hear this clip. Now the new meme is that voter ID laws are transphobic. Hit it. Gen Z gears up to hit the polls, transgender voters are concerned they might be blocked from casting their ballots. Yeah, that's because a growing number of states are enforcing stricter voter identification laws that disproportionately impact the community. NBC Out reporter Joe Yurkeba joins us now with more on this. Joe, good morning to you. So first of all, how can voter ID laws create obstacles for transgender people? And where do we see some of the strictest voter ID laws? Sure, yeah. So voter ID laws disproportionately impact trans people because trans people are more likely to have IDs without the name uh, that they go by and the gender marker that reflects how they present. And recent research shows that just over 200,000 eligible trans voters in uh, 31 states that both conduct their elections mostly in person and require or request ID at the polls don't have IDs that reflect their gender identities and the names they go by. Um, and, you know, the states that have the strictest voter ID laws are are mostly concentrated in the South and Midwest. So you're, you know, Tennessee, Wisconsin, Kansas. So voters there are going to be most. So, Rod, what say you? Because I just can't even. <laughs> I mean, this just this just adds to what's going to happen. Uh, what six days from now, or seven days, you know, or however long it takes to count the vote for some of these places. But um, it just it just shows what the Democratic Party has become, and they they don't they. You know, along with abortion, they have no limits. They let the craziest of the craziest represent them as a whole, and they don't, don't never push back. And also, if you're worried about that, take off the dress and put on some slacks and a shirt and look like you were born for for voting. And if you have that problem voting, how are you going to get on an airplane? I assume trans people like to go on vacation, right? So any problem that would present itself to people voting about ID, would also, if they went to the bank and they showed an ID and they said, this doesn't look like you. You, you see what I'm saying, Rod? <laughs> yeah, for surely. And you know, this problem also is having a problem in the criminal justice system. Cause you know, if you're locking someone up in jail, just initial lockup, you know, if you put what you think is a woman you know what I mean? With with women, certain things might happen. Now, let's talk about uh, John Fetterman for a second, running in uh, Pennsylvania against Dr. Oz. 
And he uses the name better woman sometimes. But I'm not going to use that because it's offensive. Because it's implying that there are two genders. He could be fetter man or fetter woman. So I will call him, because uh, it's kind of an, is, you know, quest love from the roots is the one who does this. I'm going to call him John Fetter question mark. And the roots are from Philly, right? Yeah, that's right. So the, it could be a Pennsylvania thing. So like quest love, John Fetter question mark, because that's gender nonspecific. But John Fetterman is still complaining about the debate they he screwed up. Is that right, Rod? Yeah, he was on local news in Philly, and you know, uh, this uh, longtime Fox host asked him, like, you know, you, you did pretty bad at the debates, and you were going to hear Fetterman's uh, answer. <laughs> well, let's hear a bad answer. Hit it. They keep using over and over again is your comment about fracking your answer to the fracking question here it is there is that 2018 interview that you said quote i don't support fracking at all so how do you square the two uh, I, I i do support fracking and i don't i don't I support fracking, and I stand, and I do support fracking. Do you understand why people are now questioning your ability to be our senator from the state of Pennsylvania because of moments like that? I, I, I believe that, that my support of fracking has always been been one that, uh, in, in the past, uh, it was some of the environmental concerns. So... That wasn't a concern people have. People weren't concerned about your position on fracking. They were, they were concerned that you said, I, I support fracking over and over again. Right, Rod? Yeah, no. This, you know, I don't know if it's... See, this is the thing. I don't know if this is the stroke or this is just how he is, where he's just totally unaware of you know, how bad the optics of that was and him not being able to put out a coherent sentence. And now he, he answers it with another non-coherent sentence. Right. And, and you got a good, good point because I've seen speeches he did before he was, he, before he had the stroke. And he was confused then. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, he's just like very nonchalant. Like if you, ca if you catch him in a lie or something, he'll just shrug his shoulders and be like, you know, whatever. So that's what I'm saying. It's like people, people are just getting to know him now the last couple of months, but this isn't the stroke that the reason he's talking like this. It's it's the fact that he never wants to answer to a simple fact. Now, I'm going to save the Powell clip for when Mark Frost is on. But the last clip I'm going to go to now is the White House denying what The Intercept reported a couple of days ago. The Intercept reported a couple of days ago about the way DHS is using uh criminalizing speech as their prime mission now. And one of the things they reported is that the White House had a portal they could use with, I believe, Facebook, right? So if the White House wanted to report, quote, disinfo, end quote. By the way, if disinfo meant lies, all the White House has to do is report everything it says. But that's not what they mean. They mean disinfo is information that is not convenient to the White House. So they are denying that they use that portal. Let's hear that clip. Hit it. 
participate in the secret government censorship portal, though? I think that was part of the question. Does the White House submit examples of alleged disinformation and misinformation for Facebook to censor through this portal? No. So that's clear enough. Her answer was clear enough. I'm not saying it was honest enough. I, I don't think so. So what did you make of that, Rod? You know, we're just we're just uh, listening to the audio, but during when he the, that gentleman was asking the question, you can see her face just by knowing what was coming because it's a follow up to another question she didn't answer. Um, so of course, so of course, you know it's a yes. She's just covering and lying, saying no. Because I assume the intercept Lee Fung over there. I've known Lee actually a little bit for a few years, and I think he does some good reporting. In my experience. He's an honest reporter. And did you see, he appeared on Tucker talking about this story the other night. And did you see he was attacked for going on Tucker? Did you see that? Well, of course, you know, because the Intercept is more considered on the left. And, you know, Tucker's considered the extreme right. So for Lee Fang to go on there, yeah, I'm I I would, I not surprised. But did any MSNBC show ask Lee Fang to come on? And discuss the story. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm sure if Joy Reid and Tucker called Lee Fung and said, we'd like you to come on to talk about this intercept story. He might, if he had a pick between the two, he might pick Joy. But he would not pick, I would say. He would say, I'll schedule you for 8 o'clock and you for 9 o'clock or something like that. Lee would go on any show that I guarantee you, you know, CNN said, we'd like you on with Anderson Cooper to talk about that story on the Intercept. But Joy Reid and Anderson Cooper don't call. So You follow me? So what they do is they don't call. They had Hillary, yeah, yeah go, go ahead, Rod. No, you, 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 uh, you lined it up rightly. Uh, Joy Reid had uh, Hillary Clinton come on uh, last night, I believe, and talk about what the Republicans are going to do to steal the election. Yes, and and so she she chose uh, she chose Hillary over Lee Fang. Right, and they and they they did not have Lee Fang on the next the next day either. Right, it wasn't like they had Hillary one night and then well. They, what the the media trick is there are certain guests they'll never ever have on because they don't want to repeat what they say not because it's wrong but because it does not fit the narrative and then uh, when someone like Tucker or RT or Sputnik asks them for instance we ask people we we we'd have Lee Fang on in a second right Rod Hundred percent, hundred percent. But if someone was also challenging that, I would want to have them on. If someone's saying, "No, Lee got it wrong. The intercept is factually incorrect," you've heard it here on the Pelosi story. We care about facts. We don't care about anyone's narrative, left, right, or otherwise. Now let's take a short break. When we come back, let's talk to our great friend Mark Frost, economist. Eagle Scout, Prague Rock drummer, Mark Frost, right after this break on Backstory.
back on the backstory. And on radio, 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. Joining us now, great friend of the show and great guest. He'll make you smarter for sure. Mark Frost is an economist, an entrepreneur, an educator, and a prog rock drummer. Hey, Mark, how you doing? I'm doing quite well. I have my three economist cats here right next to me, and life is good. So I'm glad to hear that. I'm going to start off the way we used to by asking you the drummer question of the day, Mark. You ready? Drum roll. Okay. So do you prefer two bass drums or a single pedal, a double pedal, and one bass drum? Uh, Two separate bass drums, and I like the bass drums to be virgins. You like your bass drums to be what? Virgins. Meaning that means no hole that that means no holes on them to support tom toms. Uh, they don't have any holes on them other than an air hole, and it makes them sound better. And it's so, called virgin. So if so your tom toms are are held by hardware that fits into the bass drum, then that's not a virgin. That's right. why they call and them so virgins. There's how, no. How, how do you mount? How do you mount the toms then? A separate stand? Uh, uh no stands. Or in my case, yeah. I have a rack system. I was going to say, so have, do you have a rack? Yeah. But uh, before I had the rack, I just used stands. I had to kind of spaghetti them in where I wanted them and that kind of stuff. And But yeah. So would you There's be an R2 to, to hardware, yeah. If someone saw your kit and said, hey, Mark, nice rack, you would not be offended, right? Not at all. I know exactly what they're talking about. Okay. It's, uh, you know, for people who are drummers out there, Kim Iverson would understand this conversation. Most people, though, <laughs> you're learning a little about, about, about drums. Also, by the way, when you play, have you played, we were talking about, I mentioned the Pink Floyd song, Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun. Do you ever play that as a drummer? Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's the stuff I grew up on. It was a little before my time, but... But Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, yes. Uh, Pink Floyd. King Crimson is one of my gods as far as music goes. Uh, and you and, like old Crimson? And if you can play that Crimson. music, I mean, no one can play that music, not even them. <laughs> you know, and yes. that's what makes it a musician's band. So, And did you like uh, Crimson after Bruford came in? And, and Blue, oh, the new King, King oh, Crimson. Yes. Absolutely, because what made King Crimson so special, and in fact, I challenge anyone to tell me another band that's done this. You might argue Jethro Tull has done it a little bit, but every single, they reinvented Iteration. themselves every album. There was never more of the same, ever. Each album, so Discipline of 1980 is an order of magnitude different than Court of the Crimson King of 1969. And likewise, Red is very different from Lark's Tongue and Aspit, and so on and so on. I mean, they literally change what they do every album to the point where so, the fan base is, is sometimes even befuddled, but they stick with them because they're that good. Yes, and I think that King Crimson Discipline album has really held up over the years. Do you agree? Well, yes, especially the song on it called Epitaph. It's a haunting allegory of what's going on in the world right now. 
And the last line in it is, I hope, basically, I hope the people in power know what they're doing, but I fear it's in the hands of fools. Now, that's a great segue. So we had the Jerome Powell head of the Fed come out today. And what did Jerome Powell do? He raised interest rates, right? Yes. Now, let's make sure we understand what that means for the listeners. Can I take 30 seconds and give a high-level explanation? Of, of course. You can take as much okay. time as you want, Mark. So Solo. Quantitative, quantitative easing is when they want to expand the economy. And what they do is they print money and they buy assets from banks, usually treasury bonds, and that drives down the price of interest rates. When they're trying to do the opposite, that is, when they're trying to retard the economy, then they sell things to banks at a discount. So the Fed is losing money on every time that it tries to lower the interest rate, it's losing money. Its asset sheet is falling. And so this is a liability. So the Fed increases its liabilities to pay for this. And it's just the nature of a federal, it's just the nature of a central bank. And it's important for people to understand that, that the Federal Reserve is purposely throwing people out of work so they can fight inflation. There's no other clean way. Let me say it differently. There's no other non-polished way to say it. They're purposely throwing people out of work. They're purposely retarding economic development precisely for the only reason to fight inflation. And the opinion of whether that's a good or bad thing will vary. But that what I just said is a fact. It seems to me that politicians often, when they discuss inflation, oversimplify it to prices have gone up. And that, in fact, is generally not what's happening. It's not exactly because prices can go up for a lot of reasons. For instance, the manufacturer can decide to charge more arbitrarily. That sometimes happens. But it seems to me that inflation, the problem is they printed a lot more money. Am I, am I correct, essentially, Mark? You are correct. And matter of fact, one of my cats who's right next to me, Milton Friedman, has a famous quote. And it's, inflation is anywhere and everywhere a monetary phenomena. And this is an interesting point and a personal point for me, because I think I've been on Sputnik in the various shows for right at three years. And the first time I was ever invited on was to talk about modern monetary theory. And I said that I'd been debating it with Minsky and, you know, Ray and all those folks for decades, but it was nonsense. It was inflationary. And the only reason to utilize it would be if you wanted to spark an onslaught of inflation. And so that's, right. the, that's, that's the first time I was ever on Sputnik. I said something like that. And so I feel redeemed. Now, so if you see, you know, Biden talk about inflation, he acts as though one of the causes of inflation is that people are making too much profit. So well, no, if, uh, the, the, the only reason that inflation can exist, and you've got to remember, inflation isn't just a price check rise. If there's a shortage of oil and the price of oil rise, that's not inflation. Just like if the if the frost kills green beans, you know, that drives up the price of corn because people substitute out of green beans into corn. But that's not inflation. Inflation is literally defined as across all purchases. 
the value of the money you're using to buy it with has gone down. So let's just use an arbitrary number. Let's say we double the money supply today. Well, tomorrow, a $4 loaf of bread should cost $8 because nothing's changed except the unit of account that the government through the central bank sets. And, so and then- what I... Th- Oh, I I was just going to say what I find interesting, what I think is very uh, related to this. Now, are you aware of the Treasury's uh, policy on the Russian oil uh, price cap? Are you even aware of that program? Yes, but but explain to people. Uh, These price caps have been insane. Well, technically, the Fed's paying for this because basically basically the Treasury Department said, okay, no more Russian oil. Unless they sell it before, unless they're willing to sell it before a price that we say is good and proper. And the problem is they were never able to actually get it done until the Fed stepped in. And so it created chaos in the markets. And since there's a lag between the time when someone says, okay, let's let's do this, and from the time that the oil is actually delivered can be, you know, 90 to 120 days, you know, markets sort of freaked out over it. And uh, it just seems silly to me that if it's that evil to use Russian oil, why is it any less evil to use it at a lower price? (laughs) I mean, I find that what I find most frightening about this administration isn't the left wing thing or the woke stuff. Uh, I mean, he was elected. so the the system spoke. But what I find alarming is the abstraction from reality, the gaslighting, the 1984-esque redefining of language. And uh, it's almost a page out of Atlas Shrugged with these ridiculous bills that as you read it, you're like, this can't ever happen. And then there's the anti-inflation bill which anybody that has a master's degree in, in, you know, in economics understands is not an anti-inflation bill. It's an inflationary bill because you're increasing spending financed by deficit spending. If they raised taxes and they funded it in real time, it would not have been inflationary. It would have just been a transfer payment. And so it's the gaslighting, you know, I, Nobody likes it when somebody treats them like they're stupid and thinks that they're so smart that they can just, you know, get one over on them. And that's how this administration seems to act when it comes to economics. Because, I mean, I've got to the point where I can't even hardly watch broadcast news anymore because all it does is make me mad. So I just stick to magazines, newspapers and, you know, you know, radio. And does that really help, though? It does, because what I found was happening to me was it's designed to make it it's designed to make it very addictive, especially if you're a policy wonk, you know, especially if you have an interest in any sort of political economy or related field, politics, that sort of a thing. It can be very addictive. But the problem is, if you don't manage your time well, it can make your soul sort of angry. To the point where you're like, okay, they really are the enemy. And when in fact, I think most people just temporarily suspended their minds during the shutdowns. And they're only now figuring out 
wow, maybe everything the government says isn't true. Maybe even some of the things that we don't like believing are true are true. And maybe we should make rational decisions again than these emotional, irrational decisions that not just the next generation, but the generation after it is going to be paying for. It's, uh, and I ac find actually, Mark, that brings up a good point. That's precisely why I talk to you about drum stuff or talk to Jamal about ayahuasca. I talk about non political topics sometimes. I find that the political climate is so depressing that if I just talked about that 100% on this show, I would be very sad and it would be a bad show. So I like to talk about other topics. Does it make sense to keep yeah. it? Yeah. And, but, but it is interesting. I, I mean, yeah, uh, because everything relates to economics. Drumming relates to economics. Great drummers don't know a lot about economics because they spend all their time practicing. That's how they became great, usually. I mean, and that's an economic concept. What's the opportunity cost of X? Well, it's Y. And uh, that's something people don't realize, that, that, the, that I would define economics as the study of opportunity costs. And uh, let me point out, the other thing about music, and particularly being a musician, have you found this? This is an amazing time. If you go to a music store now, I'm also a keyboard player, right? And so there are synthesizers that I bought back in the 80s and uh, I didn't buy because I couldn't afford them. Uh, a Yamaha DX7 I bought when I turned 18 years old. I paid $2,000 for it. Now yes. I can get that exact keyboard for 50 bucks as a plug-in. Does that make sense? So yes. the economics of music have gotten amazing. And, and, and if I just thought about music, go instruments all day, the future is not depressing. The future looks great. Have you found that, Mark? Well, yes. And even given all of the problems, the future, yes. generally speaking, looks great. Now, there's the black swan problems. You know, there's the high impact, low probability things like nuclear war and stuff like that. But I still ascribe very low probabilities to that. Because I believe both sides are rational, and at the end, uh, people will come to their wits' end and make a compromise of some kind, you know, on that note. But, but on the music thing, I agree with you 100%. And I remember back in the 80s when Simmons drums came out, and I was wanting to get one, and they were just way too expensive. And then I became an economist, and my favorite economist has this famous quote, and it said, the... Uh, queens, no doubt, enjoyed silk stockings, but the great achievement of capitalism was not provisioning queens with silk stockings, but rather putting them within the reach of factory girls at ever-decreasing rates of effort. And, right. and I was just at a music store, and cheap drum sets aren't low quality anymore. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you don't have to go spend... You know, you don't have to go spend a lot of money to get into drumming anymore. I mean, back in the day, you did. I mean, once you had the garbage set and you learned how to play, you know, at some point you were going to put out some real money. And nowadays you can get some, you know, they're not handmade, but who cares? The quality is actually quite high and they sound quite good. 
Uh, and so, and then there's all of this online things that you can use to learn things. I've been exactly a fan right. of Carl Palmer for years, for decades before YouTube came. I couldn't understand how he was hitting the bell part of the symbol while using all four of his all four of his appendages doing something else. And then and then when YouTube and then when YouTube you know sort of came out, one of the first things that I looked up was Emerson Lake and Palmer uh, drum solo. And so I looked at it and and he had a string hanging down from an actual bell and he'd grab it with his teeth and ring the bell. Wow. So it wasn't wow. a symbol, it was a bell. And so I felt so good trying to replicate that. Finally. <laughs> and there's so many if if anyone wants to learn an instrument, YouTube has so many great resources. Oh and people my goodness. Right? Yes. Do you want to know a dirty secret about YouTube musicians, though? There's exceptions of any rule, though, but but I'm serious about this. They can't play live. It's not a surprise to me in some ways, because the art of playing live has gone away, largely. Yeah, because I, I play in a jazz know. band right now, and it's, uh, uh, and yeah, you're right. It's, you know, we gauge the crowd and change it on the fly if we need to, so... Now, so I'm going to make a recommendation to you, and at the same time, the audience. I've talked about this book, Tragedy and Hope 101, which is a great book for anybody who wants to understand how the world works after Cecil Rhodes. So it's interesting historically, and you can get a free copy of it by going to tragedyandhope.info. But this guy wrote a book, Mark, and... Uh, I looked at his webpage, and he also plays drums. Oh wow! And it was a great, it was a great book. And guess what? He's he's over there covering stuff like YYZ, and or YYZ if I want to be pretentious, and Tom Sawyer. So he's a Neil Peart influenced prog rock drummer. Does that make sense? I'm looking so at it. I'm yeah, like I'm looking guy. at it now. Oh, right. And he's a, he's a good drummer, you know, and he's. Playing classic Rush. Now, how do you rate among the Rush albums moving pictures? Because I would say that probably, was really the break, probably third. breakthrough album for Rush. What's I that would mark? rank it third. I would probably rank it third. Over behind what? Uh, Farewell to Kings. Yes. Yeah. And then first was B2112. And that's right now. Now, if you ask me, if, if you have me on again and Three days, I might give you a different answer, but right now that's my answer. Okay, in terms of musicianship, I would pick Hemispheres over 2012. Yeah, I mean, I can see why somebody would do that because it depends on what mood I'm in. Am I in a, you know, Temples of the Syrinx mood, or am I in an XYZ mood, or am I in a Trees mood, or am I in, uh, you know, syncopated? seven, eight time signatures, and I'm looking for, you know, um, you know, one of their later, more intense prog rock style albums. Yes. Yeah, no, agreed. Now, in terms of the economy now, so there's lots of good stuff in the economy in terms of, like we, we talked about, computers, musical instruments, a lot of things are better than ever now. Agreed? 
bodily uh, cars boldly. for instance cars actually lack cars require very little maintenance uh compared to how they used to be and do you, do you know i i would like and i'm going to relate two concepts here among musical instruments you can buy a brand new fender guitar like a stratocaster or whatever that's brand new but you can also buy a fender guitar that looks like a stratocaster that was made in 1957 and it it has shipped paint and it's worn neck have you seen those instruments that yeah. emulate the old oh yes, yes instruments yeah but they're brand new so i'd like to buy a new electric Ford Mustang that looks exactly on the outside like a '68 Mustang. Does that make sense? <laughs> and I'd like it yeah. to look, and I'd like it to have faded paint a little bit. Does it make sense? It does. And I don't know why no one does that. But if car manufacturers want to make their cars look cool, there's some. The Challenger, the new Challenger, is a, a muscle car esque body. But it's not exactly the same thing as a classic Mopar, or for instance. So I don't know why no one does that. So there's a free, if any Fender executives are listening to the show, that's a free idea. Take it. Now, Mark, do you have the same sense that everybody seems to have that the Democrats are headed for disaster in two weeks? Do you think that the Democrats are going to get what they deserve. Because my view is you can avoid reality for a long time. Actually, it's true. Avoiding reality does not have instantaneous consequences. If you close your eyes when you're driving, you don't crash the first second. But 30 seconds later or five minutes later, you're crashed into a tree. So I would say the Democrats are going on borrowed time. What say you, Mark Frost? Let me give the disclaimer first that I like to forecast economic things, and I've been pretty much batting a thousand on those. I don't usually like to forecast or even guess at stuff that I'm not really trained or think about on a regular basis. But given that I think it was one, I read in a couple places there was only one Democrat candidate that wanted Biden to be with them when they were campaigning whether it was the House or the Senate. And that told me, you know, putting my putting my economist hat on, I I took that as a revealed preference that even they believe that the administration is a negative. Now what that tells me is that the democratic show that that is the the relative amount of democratic voters is going to be less than hoped for. And anecdotally, it seems like Republicans are energized and independents, libertarians are angry and are going to vote Republican as a protest vote. So my money, if I was forced to bet with my life on the line, I would bet that the Republicans are certainly going to take the House and probably take the Senate. And I think possibly, you know, very probably. I think they will take a lot of governorships. A lot more states are going to be run by Republicans, and we'll see what effect that has. But do you agree? Well, people Mark, are happier. Well, well, yes, but uh, 
that we know. There's been actual real studies where they've controlled for extraneous variants, and it's pretty clear. Uh, red cities, people are happier than in the blue cities because they're living in filth, crime, taxation. Uh, my friend just moved to Georgia. Here, his truck was $100 to register. Not Georgia. He just moved to California. Here, here his uh, his his truck registration was a hundred dollars. There it's a thousand. Right. And, and, and so it's really, it's really sad what's happened to states like California. It's, it's tragic, but it shows what happens when you elect Democrats over decades. Mark Frost, great conversation. You have a great week. Enjoy yourself, Mark. We'll talk to you later. Mark Frost, and thanks to Jamal Thomas for great appearance. And thanks to our callers. We'll be back tomorrow on I'm, I'm going to see Tulsi. Now, I'll say hi for you, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory. Backstory.